Welcome to the Smart Talk series, a Henry George School of Social Science podcast. The Smart Talk series is a weekly podcast with an array of discussions held with academics, policymakers, practitioners, and other professionals to explore new ideas and theories within the economics field. Our discussion today came from our archives and was recorded in November of 2016. Our talk is hosted by our former president, Andrew Mazzoni, and Dr. Marty Rowland. Dr. Marty Rowland earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan and his master's from the University of New Orleans, both in environmental engineering. He later went on to earn his Ph.D. in natural resource economics from the University of New Orleans as well. He served in the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation as a senior project manager for environmental remediation in order to help improve the city's environmental quality, bettering living standards for all New Yorkers. He has taught at various institutions such as Pace University and here at the Henry George School of Social Science. He is also a senior fellow with the Asset Leadership Network, a group that promotes financial awareness as a way to achieve social objectives. Dr. Rowland joined us in discussing infrastructure management, affordable housing in Manhattan, and strategies for efficient urban planning. We hope you enjoy this talk, and please make sure to check back on our page every week for a brand new episode. As part of the work we do at the Henry George uh, School and Foundation, uh, environmental uh, uh, issues are becoming more and more our purview. I mean, as classic Georgists, yes, we're interested in the economy, but we're also interested in the environment and all of its attendant issues. And we just so happen to have a board member who's an expert on the environment. And we're going to introduce him now, Dr. Marty Rowland, who's going to tell you about himself and some of the work he's doing and some of the work we've got an interest in. And uh, Marty, uh, to you. Well, thanks, uh, uh, Andrew. I'd like to uh, introduce myself to people who are not familiar with uh, me and my background. Um, my doctorate uh, is in urban studies. Essentially, it was a natural resource economy. I was mentored by Daniel W. Bromley from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. He's now retired, but uh, uh, I, uh, learning about the, the commons and the economy of the commons is uh, something of uh, expertise that I have. I've, um, I'm a professional engineer in civil environmental engineering, and uh, some of the uh, interesting thing that I've been doing um, most recently is I've been involved in the standards setting organization called ASTM, stands for American Society of Testing Materials. So I'm, I'm working on this uh, ASTM standard called uh, Public Infrastructure Management, and I've had a, an exciting opportunity that's coming up next week, um, a, a person that's on the committee helped me to write this standard is also in the asset leadership uh, network and they have a conference in Washington DC and I've been asked to lead a, a panel on uh, decision making in uh, asset management infrastructure of that sort and uh, the thing that's exciting is that at the end of the conference there's going to be a white paper um, written and it's going to be given to Congress and the two 
candidates for um, president of the United States, essentially telling them, hey, implement this. And I think this is a great opportunity for me and ASTM because the, the standard that I'm, I'm writing goes into the, um, what I call them 15 types of infrastructure. And uh, it includes things such as nature. And that kind of gets back to the, the uh, environmental uh, aspect of my expertise. But uh, within the standard, there's this opportunity for um, public executives who would be the ones uh, using this guide to look at uh, where the money's coming from for the various things that you need for like water and sewer and education and uh, buildings and such. Uh, but it always asks that question when you're done with the analysis, have you thought about land value capture before you decide not to do something? So I'm always uh, providing that opportunity to, to uh, promote uh, Georgism and Georgia's thought within the, what I'm doing. How would you value, for example, a particular ASTM standard? Would uh, uh, I'm familiar with the AST, uh, ASTM, and uh, usually it's a, it's a it's a product or a function or a process that they're they're delineating. But uh, in your case, would you be specifying uh, standards for, let's say, bridges generically, or specific or specific bridges, for example? Well. Um the way it's uh, been described to me is that it was Andrew Carnegie who created the first ASTM standard. Of course, it wasn't ASTM when he did it, but essentially he had trouble getting the consistent quality of steel for his railroads. Okay. So he said uh, to the steelman, uh, take this recipe and if you do it right, uh, I'll buy your stuff. So that's the idea behind it, uh, recipes, doing it in a consistent manner. Uh, in the 90s, uh, environmental uh, professionals came together and they, they saw a need for a, a standard way of doing property assessments. So nowadays, everybody's familiar with, oh, I'm going to buy a house, so does this house have lead or asbestos? Is there contamination? So mm -hmm. uh, one of the first in the environmental ASTM standard was the uh, phase one, phase two, uh, environmental assessments. I see. So, yeah, so that's uh, essentially how that came about. And then with me being in the ASTM and my interest in the environment, infrastructure, and Georgia's economics, I'm uh, creating this uh, public infrastructure manual. But the, again, is it an all-encompassing standard or do you get to the particulars like roads and build and, and, and bridges yeah. and uh, and aquifers uh, management. Uh, I mean, what are the, what is the, how extensive is this standard? Well, the standard goes into the 15 types of, of infrastructure, and I start off with uh, potable water, and I get into stormwater and, and sewage, uh, education, um, buildings, cultural artifacts, uh, parks and recreation. I, I include nature and financial services, so it's. It's, it's really the whole ball wax uh, in terms of uh, anything that you might find in a city is included in the standard. Uh, in order to, to make it manageable is that I'm not having it be a requirement that any city that picks it up and uses it has to track every type of infrastructure. It's kind of like uh, dipping your toe into the water to see if it's something that you want to do. 
uh, city might pick up on one standard, for example, in, in Flint, maybe the, the mayor would uh, be focused on potable water, mm-hmm. like, uh, like where is the water coming from? Uh, do we have all the, the fixtures that we need so that uh, we don't have any lead poisoned water? You know, that kind of thing. Or maybe Ferguson, uh, Missouri, they might pick up and focus on uh, the police and security. You know, how do we go about uh, managing uh, um, instances of crime and, and uh, social justice, um, you know, in an effective way? Uh, the main thing that I'm trying to do in the, in the standard is to uh, question that, that idea that, well, we don't have enough money, so let's don't do something. You know, like, uh, yeah, our schools are terrible, but uh, we can't raise taxes. So I'm always throwing that option in there. Have you thought about land value capture? Well, for example, the Ferguson example, where you, uh, you're challenging uh, Ferguson to build a up-to-date police force. Uh, land value taxation, for example, would be a difficult thing to apply specifically to that particular function. Uh, I would think, how would you have managed that? How would you have described the funding of that process, for example? Well, the, for example, in the, the Ferguson example, um, there's a, an adjacent town that derives 40% of its um, operating funds by running a, a, a debtor's prison scheme where you arrest people, they can't get out, so they take out loans. They Essentially, uh, keeping people in jail so they have to bail themselves out. So that's a, a thing that I think most... Uh, civilized people would be against. So in terms of how you would get the funds, uh, you know, it's pretty well known, at least in New York City, that the, there's so much vacant land that could be taxed that isn't. Uh, New York City has at least a, a billion dollars a year that they could raise just on that. Um, I think one of the, the problems, for example, in Ferguson is uh, is there enough land value that hasn't been taxed that you could uh, find something additional? Uh, I don't. I guess I don't necessarily see land value capture as a panacea everywhere. Okay. Uh, what I'm trying to do in the standard, though, is uh, force public executives to to um, be accountable and transparent on on what they do provide in terms of services and consider various options for uh, raising the revenue. How, how thick is your standard? As right now, uh, I don't think it's going to be more than like uh, 40 pages. Uh, the thing that I'm, uh, I haven't implemented yet is coming up with a scoring system that uh, people would find uh, useful and handy. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm thinking about right now when I'm talking about education. Uh, I wouldn't put down like uh, standardized scores, for example. I might do something like uh, look at attendance or graduation or uh, things of that sort that um, gives you a, a handle on whether you know the funds are being spent uh, correctly or maybe we need to boost it up a little bit. You know, coming out with a, a new standard, I don't want to put a lot of impediments and make it terrifically complicated so that uh, it doesn't get used. But if it's too general, it's going to be useless. If it's so general, it's not a guide. ASTM standards usually are pretty 
pretty precise, and it's a, they're, they're called specifications for a reason. It's almost a recipe that you would follow. If you're co commenting on education in general, that has a multiplicity of modes and, and aspects to it that uh, to uh, assess the funding needs is a difficult project in and of itself. And where you would get those funding uh, needs filled uh, is also a complex problem. Where my forte is is in uh, the environment and uh, nature. And I guess I'd like to talk about that for a second. Okay, go ahead. Because I'm um, identifying nature as infrastructure. And it's kind of like a, a different way of thinking. I think that's fair. That's deep. fair. But the, the way I'm looking at it is, for example, when you have wilderness areas, sometimes the best thing to do is just to step back and do nothing. So the expenditure for uh, Yellowstone maybe uh, would be pretty low compared to, uh, say, Central Park. Maybe you'd have to spend quite a bit of more money because uh, there you have nature that has a high reliability uh, angle to it. So uh, uh, something is... Uh, as dangerous as trees falling or branches coming off of trees after a, a windstorm. That's a pretty big factor in Central Park. On your stand, would, the one that uh, the area that you worked on that you you feel has the most uh, merit or the most interest or the most need is there a particular area, whether it be water or something like that, that you find has real uh, real cachet with with uh, public managers, executives, and, and those people? Well, I, I did publish a, a standard, a, a committee and, and myself. Uh, several people got together and uh, we published a guide that was in uh, April called Beneficial Use of Landfills and Chemically Impacted Sites. Okay. Uh, kind of a interesting title, but essentially one of the problems that I saw in an urban environment was that if a mother asks a city worker, how do I know that uh, that land over there is safe for my kid? And in my experience, the answer was, well, we don't know, or I think it is, uh, things of that sort. So when I wrote this, this guide and uh, with the, my committee, I, I made it uh, looking forward. So it was a, a matter of identifying the various uses for land, typically in an urban environment, uh, from active, active recreation, passive recreation. Uh, you might have a community garden. You might uh, have a, a buffer area around uh, an area. But essentially, it uh, identifies uh, a process uh, looking at historic data, looking at old maps of uh, what kind of manufacturing uh, was in certain areas. Uh -huh. So they have an idea of what the risk might be. So uh, the thing that makes it different than what uh, was available before that guide was that uh, an environmental professional would put his name down on the line saying, I looked into it, I've uh, tested it if necessary, and therefore, with the signature, I'm saying that that site uh, is safe and reasonable for uh, use of a certain type. So I'm hoping that that guide gets uh, more use uh, throughout the 
the U.S. maybe internationally, but uh, sometimes it's a, a process that it takes. Where, how far along are you with the uh, uh, standards uh, with ASTM, and when would uh, some of those be published? Well, the, the one that I'm working on, on public infrastructure management, we're looking at a year from now, like October 2017. Okay. Are you, uh, are you looking at the state of the existing infrastructure? There's lots of studies on where we are in, in, in terms of in, infrastructure need. Are you looking at that? And have you made a projection of how much money it would take to bring our infrastructure up to a, a standard uh, as described by yourself? You know, through ASDM. Well, the the only organization that's uh, stepped up and did something like that is the American Society of Civil Engineers. One of the things that I see with this guide that has a, a larger use is uh, making it so that people start understanding that having a well uh, well running city, for example, or well managed where the public services are, are good and people are satisfied, that's a better guide or a better gauge of how an economy is working than, for example, GDP. You talk to any economist they're saying, you know, GDP isn't that accurate a measure of the health of the economy, that, but that's all we have. Uh, I'd like to have it so that we, we look at the state of our infrastructure and the quality of the services that we get and have that be the gauge for an economy. I, I think that, uh, you know, as uh, public executives are challenged to uh, provide the services that we need, that people will demand uh, a closer accountability. Okay, but let's, let's take, uh, uh, for instance, a, a New York City with its tremendous land value as opposed to a city like Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is nowhere near the size nor the profitability of New York City, how would you judge the amount of money that can be captured by, let's say, land value taxation that's available for, let's say, a Bridgeport? And would, would, it be, would that money be available enough to fix Bridgeport up to modern standards? If it's a dying city, let's say, the chances are there's not going to be enough value in the land to fix the city and to run the city and all of that. Whereas New York City, being relatively wealthy compared to most other cities because it has an in, a component of foreign money coming in here, it, there's so many people who want to be here, so many activities, that you can make a case for land value capture here simply because of the health of the city and infrastructure uh, uh, Fixing, fixing the infrastructure would really pay off. But smaller towns and cities that don't have the value-generating capability, uh, but yet would have a need, I mean, just from a, a human point of view, how do you balance, you know, satisfying the needs of, uh, of the citizens of a particular city, uh, state, against the ability to actually raise the money? And how do you allocate what money they can raise? And where would the priorities be set? on infrastructure. I think you're bringing up a good point that should be taken up for a doctoral thesis in terms of identifying that threshold uh, of where land value capture is uh, possible. Mm. Uh, and, you know, when you, 
look at a, a city like Detroit or you're talking mm-hmm. about um, Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, there's got to be a certain uh, level of activity that you right. can tap into. Because the thing about land value capture, and maybe people aren't that aware of uh, the feasibility of implementing, is that it's never meant to be uh, detrimental or even um, found to be uh, burdensome. The idea is that you you provide the city services and people are satisfied and they're they're, they love to be there, so they're essentially thankful that they've got these things and they don't mind paying the, the cost for the provision. So uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, New York City, for example, the, the way I would go in New York City, as opposed to these other ones that maybe haven't reached that threshold, and I don't know what that threshold is, but uh, the... The vacant land is kind of like a no-brainer where there's nothing on it. And the question is, why should we not tax that person that's doing nothing but speculating? Uh, That's the perfect way of generating a a land value capture system. And and if you do that uh, first, then you've kind of whetted people's appetite saying, well, if you can do that, where else can we move? So I think there's a there's a sequence for like New York City. Uh, you do the one thing, then there's justification for moving on to a, a more complicated. Uh, take take the taxation of vacant land. Who in New York City and what what area and what uh, uh, what aspect would have first claim on that particular pool of money? It's, it's obvious it's there, and let's say you specify it's for Infrastructure, whose infrastructure, where? Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan. How do you adjudicate that? Yeah, that's a, it's interesting. It's a political question. I think anybody who's going into it and comes up with a plan should have a pretty good idea of where, uh, where that billion dollars, for example, would mm-hmm. uh, justifiably go to. Um, you know, you could, you could divide it up in a, a billion ways and then you got a dollar for each uh, thing. But um, uh, I think the way to do it would be to what's feasible, and if the figure is a billion dollars, come up with uh, what's not being done now and what's the biggest bang for the buck if we we put it here or there. I think uh, there should always be this idea of investing so that uh, the, the land values increase. So, you know, what you're doing essentially with the, the vacant land is assessing it at the, the, the use value that it should be there. And if uh, the people owning it right now aren't moving in that direction, the city takes it over and encourages mm. you know, a, a valid use or a useful use. But I think uh, you know, it, it would be uh, contentious, but I think uh, if uh, people are looking for the benefit of the, the city. In terms of land value, activity always precedes land value. In other words, land value is not magic in itself that it, a correct land policy will also all of a sudden uh, generate uh, uh, spontaneously activities. There's a certain amount of that in a, in a city that's already built up. But by and large, if you want to find out how much land value there is in a, in a, in a, in a country, uh, the GNP is almost a perfect proxy. The value of the GNP 
almost equates to the value of land in any capitalist society. So that in New York City, uh, the GNP is approximately a trillion dollars if you take all five boroughs. And various studies have shown that the value of the land, like the GNP specifically in Manhattan is a trillion dollars. And the value with some close studies of value in Manhattan is a trillion dollars. There's that much value. Now, if you looked at that and said, okay, we can capture this, that means you probably have to eliminate income tax, uh, all kinds of other taxes to, to use that pool of, of value. So that you just can't do that and then take people's, give people an income tax, a city tax, a state tax, a sales tax, and all of that. So you'd have to adjudicate that trade-off. And then once you have that, then it's probably going to give you a robust and powerful city. And then you'd have to then decide what infrastructure changes might enhance the activity potential of the city. And that's an economic study in addition to a, an engineering study. And then and only then can you probably then say, okay, this activity has a value and we're missing an activity that would give us X amount of value. So you could probably map out a city in terms of what its value coming in should be in, in terms of the land value tax and what needs are left unmet that would enhance that. And, uh, and that would pretty well suggest some of the things you might do. And that could be water, it could be access, it could be roads, uh, it could be, you know, the sanitation, uh, you know, collection, it could be the parking uh, system itself in the city for traffic flow. And uh, so I, I think there is a model that you could use to, uh, to start, where's the money coming from, what's the activity that's generating that money, and then reallocate that money to enhance the infrastructure that would support and further push more activity. Um, so uh, any comments on that as a, as a general analytical proposition? No, I think that's a very good insight. I'm hoping that uh, maybe some uh, millennials are watching who can uh, come up with a, a various, um, you know, uh, app or some computer system that can track all the, the options that we have out there. Because I think uh, it's not going to be done piecemeal. It's going to have to look at all those factors that you just mentioned, but there's got to be a, a scenario or some game point where you say, if we do it this way, what's the result? This way, another result. Um, because right now, it, there's just a hodgepodge of, uh, let's tax this, let's tax soda pop, and maybe we can get something. Right. You know, there's got to be something that's uh, directly related. And if you're, uh, it doesn't have to be one-to-one, -one, but, you know, the city has this uh, uh, opportunity to, to generate the revenue. And, you know, we've got a, very, a lot of things to uh, that we need to um, improve and uh, provide the opportunities to to, uh, to advance, you know, the... Okay, uh, but then let's go back to your white paper for the incoming president and the members of Congress. Obviously, you have to deliver some precision to make an impact. Yeah. And you not only have to deliver precision in terms of... Uh, the specific things you want done, but how much money they would cost. And so I'm asking you this, how are you making the decision to pick the projects today for that white paper? Well, um, 
Well, I guess uh, what I guess maybe I'd like to do is I know, I, I don't, I'm not really sure what they had in mind for the white paper, but I have taken a stab at writing an executive order for the president to uh, uh, organize his troops, uh, so to speak, on asset management, which could lead to um, you know some positive. In, in fact, I think the white paper was their original idea for uh, let's let's get serious, let's do something that's uh, effective and say, here, go do it. But if we come up with an executive order that perhaps if we write it well enough that he can issue it and there's kind of like a game plan already set. Uh, so what I did was I, I found a, a, an executive order that Barack Obama had signed in uh, June and I'm just kind of studying it, how the, the format is. But I think that uh, what needs to happen is like the uh, Office of Management Budget, which um, interestingly reports to the Vice President. Uh, there's certain things I'm, I'm learning about this, but uh, essentially looking at uh, how can the federal government aid in the, uh, the funding and proving the effectiveness of the various infrastructure types. Um, I think there's a, a lot of wealth that could be directed in uh, effective ways. Um, I guess the importance of my ASTM standard is that uh, people who are cities that do implement uh, various measures of, uh, of infrastructure assessment, uh, that might be the criteria for them getting additional funds, for example, if we can uh, get the next, uh, next administration on board with asset management, infrastructure. Uh, it would be a, a real plum for me if my standard was used as a, the basis for entry into cities and gaining that money. So that, that's kind of the ideas that I'm getting at right now. And, uh, and I, I like to think big because um, like the American Society of Civil Engineers says, you know, we need the $3.6 trillion and they're not even looking at all the types of infrastructure that I think is important. What if you wrote a standard that instructed all of the, uh, let's say, city jurisdictions in the United States to write white papers on what their perceived needs are in terms of infrastructure and how they think they would come up with the revenues to pay for it. And that would be grist for a national plan that would balance areas and regions in, a, in, a, in an orderly way. I mean, they, obviously people are going to overshoot, undershoot, or ask for white, uh, for boondoggle projects that wouldn't really add value. But you would see everybody's thinking, and it will probably have a good approximation, especially if it was city managers, of some of the real felt needs that they would have in terms of infrastructure. And then you probably could get a, a, a tractable, tractable view of the overall need for, for the country, and you have a view of what the available resources might be, and then you could decide uh, other methods of fundraising to, uh, to tackle that, whether it's a bond issue backed by a value-added tax of a, a national sort. So it would seem to me that uh, you would need an orderly matrix covering the points I said as, as your first standard. In other words, we would call it the, uh, whether it be national, regional, state, or city, uh, an assessment standard. And then an estimation of value 
available to pay for it, even if it isn't in the, in the, in the managers unconscious of land value, to see what they have to say, and then that plan is recalibrated in uh, given their actual earnings potential, what their needs are, and what they could capture without disrupting and over-determining a city or state in terms of white elephant projects that don't bring anything. Because yeah. they'll bring one thing, they'll bring employment at least for a short period of time, and that would kick off and jumpstart uh, further spending in a, in, a, in a Keynesian mode. But the endpoint may not be valid or, or useful over a long period of time. So it seems to me you've got the germ of an idea that could be very powerful. But I would say in, in the beginning, it would be more of a taxonomy of projects and revenues as perceived by the people on the ground. And then and only then could you iterate and, 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 and clean up that plan until it approaches something that's actually feasible. Just a thought. Yeah, no, that's very good. That's good insight. In the, uh, the standard that I'm writing, I have a, uh, an annual period uh, where you, know, you go through that process and then you reassess of, you know, where, where did we fall down the previous year and we look at various opportunities. But I think one of the things we, you call them white elephants. In the civil engineering world, we, we call them bridges to nowhere, you know, where you have these pork projects in Congress where uh, congressmen have a certain amount of money they can uh, dedicate stuff that whether we need it or not. But the point that you made was let's look at a, a regional basis. Where do we need to go? And maybe, maybe the, let's don't call it pork, but maybe that portion of, that would fit into that regional plan might be the basis for, uh, okay, well, let's, uh, let's develop various regions. Uh, and so rather than just, you know, having the, the pork bill, it may not necessarily be connected to anything. Let's, let's make it uh, connected to a, a purpose that we're going to look for. You know, one of the things thing that I think is important is throughout the, the world, especially in uh, China and Japan, there's high-speed rail. That's a perfect example where you can uh, capture land value, where you have uh, new uses, transportation corridors, and you create new cities. Well, it's a great opportunity to have land value uh, capture right off and the it, bat. And it's certainly not local. It's regional or national. So that... Yeah that any of the things you're talking about, given the kind of interdependent world we have now, it's not small town America anymore, you know, or even small state America. You almost have to have regional, uh, a regional look at that kind of infrastructure and, 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 and use of new technology. So perhaps your standard could, could look at the United States as 12 major regions that economically can use infrastructure uh, scale-ups to enhance value and create increased values, which can then pay for that project. So I, I think you have to, in my opinion, you have to look at it as a, as a, as a congealed theme. And region certainly is the minimal way you can look at uh, this kind of infrastructure uh, change or enhancement. Yeah, I, I, have a, I have a couple of cities that I'm looking to the to be the pilot, so maybe that'd be the, the first stab at it. But I, I agree that, the, that looking at a regional basis might make it uh, more feasible, especially on a on a national basis. And you know, if we're going to be putting together a, an executive order for the next president, 
to uh, implement something like this, maybe that could be in the, the policy statement that we find that this is a, an effective way of, of uh, identifying and promoting infrastructure. Maybe the president's executive order should be a, an instruction to analyze needs on a, on a somewhat collective basis, that people in certain cities and, every, and related cities uh, look at themselves at particular re uh, regions. Perhaps the president could say this is region one, two, three, and four, and that the people in that region should meet yes. and, and, and decide and think of what would enhance the value of that region, what kind of projects. And perhaps your executive order really should be marching orders for a rational assessment of infrastructure needs rather than say, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, which is all well and good, but without a thematic uh, tie together, uh, yeah. it, it, it seems to me it'd be just hit and miss. No, no, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you brought that insight in. Anything else you'd like to discuss on of interest to uh, our viewers as, as far as uh, uh, something that would catch their attention, uh, extol the virtues of Georgism, and certainly help and protect the environment. Is there any other big picture uh, thing in the, in the offing in, in your world? Well, um, I guess the one thing I wanted to, to mention was a, um, a response to a, an article in the Wall Street Journal by a member of the Cato Institute back in June. Um, uh, we, we do have a reply. We're trying to get it uh, published in the Wall Street Journal. But, uh, but one of the things I think... I read the reply. It's an excellent reply, by the way. I'm sorry? It's an excellent reply. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. But one of the things I see problematic in terms of Georgism is that we have people that think they know what uh, George said, but in fact they don't, and they're using it for their, their own political purpose or yeah. point of view. And, uh, you know, we've got this great opportunity now with this uh, discussion about free trade and the um, uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, for example, and even have China talking about what free trade means to them. So the, the whole phrase has uh, taken on new meaning depending on the, the era you talk about or uh, where you're geographically. Um, one of the things that uh, is meant by Henry George in the, the free trade argument is that the, there's a precondition that there's a land value capture. Uh, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. And uh, so if you don't grab that uh, concept, and no matter what you say about what George had uh, opinion on, uh, really off base, and that's essentially our critique of uh, uh, Jim Powell's uh, uh, critique. Well, actually, he, his mentor was Milton Freeman, and I guess Milton Freeman's favorite book was Henry George's Free Trade or Protectionism. And so, uh, yeah, I like to you know, discuss that and promote this idea, and I'm thinking that I might be able to get uh, some uh, open ears and uh, when I talk about infrastructure because this is a perfect angle uh, to talk about uh, George's thought because where does this land value capture go? Mm -hmm. it, it, it goes to the, the public services that, that increase the, uh, the value that it's like a virtuous circle 
And um, so that's really, you know, that going back to when I joined the Georgist organization in 2010, um, uh, it was like the the missing link in the, the thought processes that I had. Because I, I taught a course at Tulane University when I lived in New Orleans, and I taught a course in public infrastructure, and um, I never really addressed uh, where the money is going to come from. And then when I came here to New York City, there it was, you know, the, the answer to that question that I hadn't uh, addressed. Um, there is another activity that I've been involved in, and that's um, low-income housing in uh, uh, Manhattan, for example. I'm involved in a, in a project to provide affordable housing in um, East Harlem, and I'm really kind of excited about it. Uh, we're not really sure whether our proposal is going to be selected. But we're we're looking at a a mechanism so that uh, that we can uh, essentially cross subsidize uh, making homes available. I think we're for around 402 are uh, homes that we're trying to develop uh, with the commercial that's going to be on the first or second floor. So we see that as a a virtuous way of uh, combining uh, real estate and and um, housing for uh, for the housing for the people that are essentially being pushed out by this runaway uh, real estate business in uh, Manhattan. Uh, I find it kind of funny that uh, we've got a situation where you know everybody's uh, with money flocking to Manhattan, and and sooner or later we're going to be looking around looking for that reason why they came to Manhattan with whether it's restaurants or events or nature and uh, going to get to the point where it's just people who are all the same looking for the same thing that's not there anymore. There's so many uh, mom and pop restaurants, for example, that are being pushed out because mm -hmm. of the, the higher rents and stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about being involved in this group because we see uh, an opportunity to put a little bit of halt or maybe a break on that process because um you know it'd be one thing if these billion dollar uh or i don't know about billion but let's say multi-million dollar per unit high rises that go up in manhattan if uh, that value would be uh, successfully captured that'd be one thing but just to have it so that uh, one large building causes the next building to change their uh economic game plan and decide to move everybody out and let's put up our high rise for multi-billionaires that need to park their money someplace. You know, there, there always has to be a, a reason for why we, we allow things to happen. And I think, uh, it can't be, uh, let's be friends of people with money. Uh, I think we all always have to be aware of there's a public services that are needed. So how are we going to provide them uh, public services? Jane Jacobs would be proud of you. Yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar. Uh, that that's uh, uh, material for a whole another talk if you want to about uh, Robert Moses and Jane Jacobs. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this one up, Marty. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we always want to keep track of the projects that you seem to be developing at a at a pretty rapid clip. And uh, next one, uh, next next interview we'll have will be on hopefully one of the projects, perhaps the white paper that gets implemented and then we can, we can talk about what happened 
who was influenced and how they thought about it. Yeah, yeah. And if, and if I run into somebody in Washington D.C. and they ask me, I'll say, uh, "I'd like to be uh, administrator of EPA," and uh, maybe that would be a springboard for something. Okay. And that's it for this week's episode of Smart Talk. Thank you for listening, and we hope it made you think. If you'd like to learn more about our research, check out hgsss.org. That's hgsss.org. If you'd like to listen to our content as soon as it's published, subscribe to our show. If you like our show, please leave us a rating, review, or even share it with a friend. It goes a long way. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.